I don't think there's too many people out in the world that would say, if I had a kid and he came out with some type of issue or disability, that that is going to affect my my love, my thoughts, and my care for that child. I don't think anybody out there would, would say that. I don't think anybody out there has children with the intention of you know, so to speak, old Spartan style, the up kid's not healthy, throw it away. You know, I don't, I don't think there's a parent in the world that goes into having a child with those intentions. But I do think there's a lot of parents that have children where that is the outcome and they're not prepared for it. And I think a lack of preparedness leads to, you know, a, a, a less fruitful life for that child. You're listening to Journey to Fatherhood, a podcast that inspires and equips men to becoming more intentional and feeling more supported on the journey to fatherhood. Why wait to become a father before learning how to be a good one? My name is Chinidim Wanaya, a young man also on his journey with a desire to help men become great fathers despite their past personal experiences. I'll be sitting with different guests to bring you great value, sharing their knowledge and their experiences as we all embark on this amazing journey. This podcast, though targeted towards men, ladies, you will also gain great value from the conversations. Now, without further ado, let the journey begin. Hi there, welcome to Journey to Fatherhood podcast. Guys, I know it's been a while. I just want to let you know that it's been worth the wait because I've been, whilst we've been away, I've been making sure that I get quality speakers and making sure that we have so much more to go for 2021. Without further ado, today we have James Longfield on the podcast. James actually approached us when we put ourselves on a platform called marchmaker.fm. So if you're interested in coming on the podcast, make sure you check us out, Journey to Fatherhood on marchmaker.fm. And James has a wonderful story, but without saying too much about it, we're going to discuss more about it through the conversations. So James, please, I know I've done a little bit of an introduction. Tell us more about yourself. Yeah, so um, I'm, I recently became a father. Uh, my son was born March 29th, 2019. Yeah. Other than that, I work in steel manufacturing. I've been doing that for almost two decades. And I do a podcast on the side. I mean, really, that's kind of just like the three big things in in my life right now is just you know work my kid and you know everybody's got a side hustle of some kind so you need it yeah well, just for the viewers and the listeners can you please let us know what your podcast is and what it's about uh yeah so i started the what for podcast uh back in october um i recently migrated it to anchor it's a positive oriented podcast for everyday people and i say that because I don't necessarily go out and look for celebrities and these people that society puts up on a pedestal because I feel like if if they're sharing their stories from up on the pedestal, how are we going to relate to that? I don't make seven, eight, nine figures a year. I, I don't do any of that stuff. So their experiences aren't going to relate to me in a majority of aspects they're going to share. So I want to go talk to engineers, librarians, uh, people in the health sector, 
uh, stuff like that because that's where the real information is. Whilst I'm, I know I'm skipping ahead a bit too much, mm -hmm. but how do you feel that? Do you because I always feel that sometimes the information we know about what a man is or what manhood really is, by the time we become men, it can become outdated. Do you believe with that, or do you have a similar? Theory? Oh, absolutely. I mean, just from. I mean, I don't even need to look to the real world to, I mean, I should, but I don't need to do that because the experience growing up with my dad and interacting with my grandfather and seeing him interact with my dad, you can see just the changes that society has made in just three generations on how they handle controversy on how they handle mental health on how they handle difficult conversations and stuff like that um for example my my grandfather also in the military um but that's all i know about it like i don't know where he was stationed i don't know what he did i don't he just doesn't talk about those things um my dad is a little bit more opened up about it um I know some countries that he was in. I know his role in the Navy. He was an electrician. But other than other than that, he's he's still fairly closed up about a lot of things emotionally and feelings and, and stuff like that. He's very much uh you know, he's very much a, de a deal with the situation at hand and then you don't talk about it. And yeah, I, I understand that. That's some of that has rubbed off on me to an extent and growing up with him and, and, you know, getting my taste of the real world and some of the mental health issues that I started struggling with. I realized that that isn't going to work going forward. We need a better plan as, as men, as fathers, as people in general, looking back on it, right. My parents made a whole bunch of decisions. And as a kid, I either liked them or I didn't like them. They were terrible. I didn't agree with them, whatever. But I didn't have context for those decisions. I didn't have insight. I didn't have knowledge. To me, it was just, well, why can't we do these things? And your parents, your parents are like, well, that's the way it is. Well, come to find out, quote unquote, that's the way it is means you know, they didn't get that promotion, you know, working 60 hours wasn't enough working three full times jobs wasn't enough to do that, you know, or the car broke down and they had to make a choice between working more or, you know, taking that vacation. And obviously the, the right choice is, is, you know, fixing the car so you can work more, not taking the vacation. But as a kid, you don't have that, you don't have that foresight. You don't have that insight. You just take it at face value and I was told we were going to do this thing and now we can't do this thing. And it's my parents' fault. And that's, it's that, I mean, it's, it's not true, but you know, that's, that's that context that I, you know, I wasn't really looking at what it took to become a father until, you know, my wife was pregnant and, you know, it's, it's very much become a drink from a fire hose thing because you know, it's not just, it's not just my life that I'm potentially messing up now. Right. I have, I have a responsibility that is, you know, I mean, he, he's my son. I have to, 
I have to do better for him than what was done for me. And it's, I mean, that's a short sentence and it's a lot more complicated than that, but it's, that's the reality. Because if I don't do that, it's a disservice to everything my father did for me. I'm happy you touched upon that and the way you just led to it, right? And one thing I wanted to know, now to let the audience and listeners know, the reason why I was so excited to speak to you was about the message you sent across. So the whole suspense right now can be put away because now we get to hear about what really drew me to your message specifically. Talk to us about your stage, um, the process, um, your process of becoming a father from your child's birth and a lot, give me a bit more of the context, like you said in the message. Yeah. So when me and my wife got married, um, one of the things that we talked about out the gate was children. I have a fair amount of health issues, um, depression, anxiety, diabetes, high blood pressure, stuff like that. From her side of the family, she also brings a fair amount of health issues. Um, she actually has childhood rheumatoid arthritis. So she's had arthritis since the age of eight. Um, she's actually a twin and her twin has some health issues as well. Um, they also have a history of, of diabetes and other other ailments in the family. So we didn't want to, as, as, as bad as it sounds, we didn't want to roll the dice on having a kid and signing the kid up for, you know, all the same health issues that we faced. So we agreed that kids, kids weren't an option. We always joked because it would add some, some good DNA to the gene pool you know, kind of reset those health factors and, you know, and, you know, but so we're like, okay. So we were together for six years, got married. And we're like, we just had this conversation one day. We were like, well, I let's start looking into adoption. Oh, wow. Okay. And so we started calling around and I don't know what it is when it comes to situations like like adoption or buying a house or stuff like that that on on paper we meet the qualifications right like you know you do all this googling you do all this check this checking for buying a house you check your credit score right your debt to income ratio and all that other jazz for adopting, there's this list of criteria that you're, in theory, the perfect family would meet, so to speak. And we met most of them, but just like when we tried to get a house, we didn't meet the requirements for adoption. And so after some thought and some hard discussion, you know, you you have all the conversations that you... I guess you have with yourself at some point when thinking about kids, but having them with another person is just, it's different. I don't think there's too many people out in the world that would say, if I had a kid and he came out with some type of issue or disability, that that is going to affect my 
my love, my thoughts, and my care for that child. I don't think anybody out there would would say that. I don't think anybody out there has children with the intention of, you know, so to speak, old Spartan style, the up kid's not healthy, throw it away. You know, I don't, I don't think there's a parent in the world that goes into having a child with those intentions. But I do think there's a lot of parents that have children where that is the outcome and they're not prepared for it. And I think a lack of preparedness leads to, you know, a, a, a less fruitful life for that child. So me and my wife, her having a differently abled sister, we had those conversations because we didn't want to, we didn't want that to be the outcome. And then either, either of us get cold feet, so to speak, or not be prepared. Um, and, and so we had those conversations and at the end of the day, we both decided it wasn't going to be an issue. And regardless of the outcome, we were going to be in it for the long haul. And so then we decided, um, 2017, 2018, that we would shoot for a July, August baby of 2019. So you kind of planned, you kind of gave yourself a time frame. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We, we planned. And then, um, for anybody doing math, uh, you'll remember that I said my son was born in March. So we planned and then we promptly took that plan and then threw it in the trash. Um, <laughs> because come to find out, um, practice makes perfect. And in the process of practicing, my wife became pregnant uh, with a child that was due in April, early April. So whatever it is, what he is, he, you know, he's just born three months earlier than he was planned. That was un that was the first unplanned mishap of what turned into just eight months of a terrible experience for my wife. Um, because we found out four months in roughly that, um, he had a CPAM, which is a, oh my gosh, medical terms, congenitive pulmonary airway malformation, which is a really, really long way and complicated way of saying part of his lung didn't develop into lung tissue. It just stayed, essentially it just stayed and became this tumor. Um, um, we were lucky enough, there's three different levels that a CPAM can happen. It can happen on both sides of the lung. Um, it can happen in just one large clump. It can happen in a, a bunch of small clumps that are kind of grouped together. And then what effectively would look like a shotgun blast through the lungs, just a bunch of them everywhere. Um, the, the latter one, the one that's all through the lungs is it's nearly completely and always fatal. Um, so we got lucky. He didn't have that one. He had the first one, which, you know, doctors don't like to give statistics on things because they feel like that gives false hope. And I understand that. 
uh, statistically speaking, he had about an 85% survival chance, which sounds, it sounds good, but the reality is 15% is a pretty large window when you're talking about a, a first world country and birth rates. 15% is, is, it's significant, you know, it's nothing to bat an eye at. And it also means that he's at a greater risk of several other birth defects, um, which led to a bunch of pre-birth testing. Luckily, none of those became an issue. He was, we went in for a checkup on March 29th and my wife's blood pressure was significantly elevated. And they basically decided that um, it was in it was in her best interest if she, if she gave birth then, rather than wait till his due date. A month Be- earlier. Yeah, because she was. Those were signs of um, another medical term, preeclampsia, which um, can be fatal for both the child and the mother. Because of my wife's medical conditions, because of the medical conditions of the baby, they basically needed to prep her for an emergency C-section in the event something were to go wrong during this procedure. So she went in, she got the, she got an epidural, she got pain meds, yada, yada, yada. And they brought me in there once she was all squared away, you know, all gowned up and whatnot. They adjusted the baby. And as soon as he was in the right position, his heart rate just tanked. It was the most terrifying and unique experience at the same time, obviously terrified because, you know, my kid's life is in danger. But at the same time, I got to watch a room full of professionals operate at a level that is just like, I don't like everybody appreciates what nurses and doctors and, and those people in that field do, but I don't think we get to really see what goes into that. Like we all see it on TV, but we all know that that's it's television. That's not the real world. I got to watch. 35 people storm into a room gown up each of them had their own groups all of them were shouting at each other it was utter confusion for me but in a matter of two and a half minutes i was holding my son and everything was fine but it was it was like walking watching the most well-orchestrated play I've ever seen. It, I mean, there's people walking past each other. People are scrubbing in. It was it was phenomenal. And then they basically, because of my wife being on, or because of my wife having preeclampsia, they have to give her magnesium for 24 hours after she gives birth. And that is to prevent her from having seizures and heart issues and all that other jazz. And what that basically means is she wakes up for about 
20 to 25 minutes every three to four hours and falls back asleep. How did you handle How did you cope with that? Just seeing someone love Um, It's like you're in, you're in a car and it's falling apart going down the highway. And I was just in a grab on to as much things as possible and try to keep it together. And, and then hopefully it turns around because I like the only crutch that I had w was the nurse that would come in and the doctors would come in and try to have a conversation with her, but she couldn't stay awake long enough to have a conversation about her medical health with the doctors because of the drugs she was on. And, and maybe it's rude of me as a man to say this because I, I really didn't do anything to help make that baby for the eight months that my wife carried it. Right. Like I was there emotionally for her, but you know, I, you know, I did my job eight months ago and then it, I'm just support for eight, you know, that's, that's the reality of it. Yeah. You know, I can't do nothing but make sure that she's happy and cared for, but seeing him born and holding him for the first time, I can't tell you, I can't put in words how it changes things. All that I can tell you is that it's, it's, it's like somebody flips the switch, you know, and it's, it's the greatest feeling in the world, but it's also the most terrifying feeling in the world. Makes it he was born. We got through that. We brought him home at eight months old. He went in for surgery to have that removed. Um, so basically they went in laparoscopically and removed the entire third lobe of his lung, which had it in there. So, um, and luckily, um, all it means is he'll lead a, he'll lead a really normal life, but he probably won't ever be an athlete at some of some exceptional caliber. He's not going to be a swimmer you know, things like that because of his lungs. Um, but functionally speaking, outside of a scar on his ribs, um, he'll hopefully lead a normal life the rest of his life. So first of all, whilst I was listening to you, there are a few things I want to say. First of all, thank you to all those in medical professions. If you're here, please put on the comment section. But it's 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 amazing listening to you because as you were talking about the procedure in terms of the childbirth. I was even getting terrified. I was just because I was just imagining thirty-five people in one room. Yeah, even more than ten is too much. And, yeah, it's insane. And it's just like all of that. And but this is why it's so. That's why we always have to give our credits to them because it's amazing. And then coming on to what you talked about, how how you felt that you didn't do much. It was only what you did eight months ago, and then. I, I've heard some of our speakers that come on have talked about that and I've spoken to people off camera as well. What amazes me is that feeling because I can't relate with it, but I can kind of imagine how it feels to feel like mm -hmm. I, I, this is someone I care about, but she's in pain. I can't do much. And then you see her lying on bed and all of this. So it's, it's very amazing just to hear it from your words. This is why I talk about keeping it real, keeping it genuine and I'm blown away. I'm honestly blown away. And your your child's in greater hands. Yeah. I I yeah. He's in great hands with you both because 
uh, I don't know, speeches for words. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's one talking about my kid in that regard has been something that I'm learning how to do. Yeah. Um and <clears throat> you know, reflecting back on on my father and a lot of things that he did with me. It's one of the few things that I don't have a lot of experience talking about because I never had that experience with him. You know, he's one of those, you know, like I said before, he doesn't talk about feelings. He doesn't talk about emotion. So it's not something that, that I've ever seen articulated from a male perspective. So it's very much of, you know, experiencing all these things. And then now I, I need to figure out how I'm going to articulate them because th yes, it's my story. Yes. It's my wife's story. Yes. Some bad things happened, but the important thing is, is, you know, in this instance, everything turned out fine. But the reality is, is that we're, we, me and her, are not going to be the only ones that go through this. I mean, it is a rare disease. It's like one in 50,000 children get it. So it's one of the less common ones. Um, but at the same time, the way we found out about it is we went in for the ultrasound and the ultrasound tech got super quiet and awkward. And it's one of those situations where you feel and see the atmosphere of the room change instantly. You know, like everybody always talks about when they get bad news, you know, you, you know, somebody shows up at your door and you open the door and they don't even need to say anything. You just know what you're about to hear isn't going to be good. Right. And I've never, ex I shouldn't say that I've only experienced that situation once before. And it was, more than a decade ago but it's it's humbling because i think to some degree everybody thinks they're invincible until they're not but at the same time i wish i had heard about it more i wish that i wasn't having to deal with that in in that situation like i wish i would have known that it was a possibility but being being a rare disease it's not you know you go in you talk about having a kid and everybody's like okay well um your baby has a chance of being born with down syndrome your baby has a chance of being born you know with like the big three or four things extremely common um it's still at like i think like one in 500 or something like that. Um, but, you know, there's this whole shelf of other issues that are common enough that I feel like they should be talked about or you should at least be given a pamphlet or something, you know, like, hey, here's a list of things that could happen. 99% of them, you know, the medical field has the ability to deal with in some capacity, but you know, here's a list of expectations because that's something that I tried to do really 
well just in life in general is I think the the biggest key to just happiness in general is being able to manage expectations. Being able to manage my expectations of people, being able to manage people's expectations of me and my expectations of myself. Being tossed into that situation, I I felt like I wasn't given the option to manage my expectations, which is nobody's fault at all. But it's also because nobody talks about it. So, you know, that's it's one if 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 people don't talk about things, then everybody everybody experiences it for the first time. And I just I mean, I don't lose or gain anything by sharing this story, but it might help somebody else. Listen, honestly, you just hit the nail on the head because that's exactly why I wanted to have you on the show because it's 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 something that's so unique and so 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 I don't know how to put it. Like you you don't see it, so you don't hear about it so much. And the thing about it, like you said, with the figures, maybe even if it's just one person that mm-hmm. hears, I know it will change their lives because a lot of times, even on things that seem like common issues, you feel like you're the only one. Exactly. So exactly. talk about now something that is not so common and then realizing, wow, someone else can relate. This is why exactly I created this platform. So that because beyond just being a man or being acknowledged as a big, a, a well-achieved man, there are so many things people go through and then becoming a father, there's mm-hmm. so much more. And there's so many stories that people can benefit so much from. And honestly, mm-hmm. to you, listen, I, I just... If I could, I'll come back to the States. I just want to meet you in person because I'm being honestly, I'm being so serious because oh. everything, everything you've been talking about, I'm just thinking about the mental capacity to handle all of that, what you had to endure because bear in mind, you also had to provide financially and you had mm-hmm. other responsibilities mm-hmm. to your family as well. So we didn't even talk about the responsibilities you had to provide for in the family, but it's just knowing that that was there and all of this that you talked about uh, James, this is exactly why I, I I I love this platform because I hear so many mind blowing stories like this, and mm-hmm. this it's it's so needed, especially with everything happening right now. It's so needed because yeah. it's so crucial, and then people that are able to go through all these things. I could go on talking; it's just like I could start a sentence and I yeah. end not knowing what to say. It's just um, I, yeah, so much for coming on, honestly. A few questions I wanted to do or go through with you is, I think I sent it over to you prior to this call. First of all, what does fatherhood mean to you? I say this kind of as a joke, but only kind of. I always like to draw the distinction on the term father or fatherhood because anyone can become a father. That's just science. That's it. Okay. Um, All it takes is 30 seconds and two willing participants, and you can become a father. It's the easiest job qualification in the world. Okay. Um, that being said, I think what I'm talking about is a father that shows up, he puts food on the table, he puts a roof over their family's head. That's, at the core, that's what I think a father should be. I don't think we should be 
quick to hand out the title of father to anybody that just has a kid. I think it should be a title that's earned. Let's say, for example, everybody turns 18, they get called an adult. Yeah, master. Okay, you're an adult. What's that mean? Okay, well, legally speaking, you have more rights and responsibilities. Okay, but what makes a good adult? How does, I mean, that's, it's just a classification. It doesn't, the word in itself doesn't carry any weight. It's just a milestone that some people achieve. If, if somebody wants to call themselves a father because they have produced offspring, fine. I'm not going to take that away from you, but that in and of itself doesn't make you a father. So to me, being a father to my son means providing and preparing him for a life better than I had. It sounds simple, but it's way harder than that. Um, it's my job to ensure that he's able to function in society at a level that benefits society. I.e. he's not a murderer, he's not a fraudster, he's not a thief. He's able to critically think and make informed decisions. Meaning he's able to take information, think for himself, and come to a conclusion. Uh, it's very important to me that my son puts pride in the pursuit of knowledge. Um, I'm not saying he has to graduate from an Ivy League school, but at no point should he think learning or obtaining information and an education isn't important. I don't care if that means he joins an, an electrician's union and he gains education and that way and he becomes excellent in that profession. To me, that's perfectly acceptable. We're always going to need electricians. We're always going to need carpenters. We're always going to need those things. That isn't going to go away, at least in the foreseeable future, until we get to a point where we can 3D print houses or yada, yada, yada. But like I said, in the next dec in the next two to three decades, that's probably not going to go away. The last one is I th he needs to put others before himself when it's appropriate. I, th I think it's important to have a self-care regimen. Everybody should have one. Um, whatever that is to you, I can't tell you what your self-care is, just like you can't tell me what my self-care is. But I think, I think people need to have that. I think a lot of people do it in some form. They just, to them, it's not called self-care. I mean, all those people that wake up every morning at 4 a.m. and go to the gym and pump iron, every day because that makes them feel good that's their self-care they probably don't call it self-care but it's a form of self-care so other than self-care i would hope that he recognizes the need to lift others up and put them before himself when he is able to and when it's appropriate because if everybody goes to the world just me 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 mine 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 you know, to an extent that has led to a lot of the issues that we're experiencing in the world right now. As you have too many people going, me, 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 mine, mine, mine. And we don't have enough people willing to sit down and break bread with others. It's a big one. It is, but it's, you know, 
And it's not one of those, I mean, you don't have to prescribe to a faith to believe in that. You don't have to prescribe to anything other than I want the world to be a better place. Honestly, every, I think every single sentence you made just makes me think. I just, you just, you're just dropping so much nugget and wisdom right now. We talked about roughly what you learned from your, um, your, how the relationship was with your father growing up, where he wasn't too much open about emotions. So, and I think you mentioned it earlier, but what have you learned from your relationship with your father and what are you going to implement in your relationship with your son as a father? So the two big, looking back on it, and I could be wrong, but looking back on it, I think the two biggest takeaways that I learned from my father that I'm trying to carry on to my son is one of them is, is pretty straightforward. I learned that love has many forms. Um, my old man wasn't, like I said, he wasn't one to speak about emotions, feelings, or any of that. So it was rare for me to hear the words, I'm proud of you. I love you. Those, those words of affirmation. Um, and it took me an embarrassingly long time to realize that despite not always hearing it, that didn't mean it wasn't true. He just didn't have the ability to share that side of him. Um, but what I do know is that my dad worked his ass off to give me a life better than he had. He made sacrifices. He worked long hours. He was an over-the-road truck driver. So he was gone on average four to ten days. And if he happened to come home on a day where I was at school, there was a good chance where I could go even longer without seeing him. Because he's going to come home, he's going to nap, he's going to shower, and then he's going to leave again. So, and while I didn't understand the choices that he had to make then being a father. Now I understand how hard those choices were to make. I understand that even though he was gone and he wasn't there for me physically, that he experienced the same pain and hardship going to work for those four to 10 days that I do when I have to work long hours. Because now I know what it's like to be on both sides of that coin. I mean, granted, my son is only almost two, but I, you know, it's when I come home and I hear him shout with excitement, Papa's home. I know the more happier he is about that. Yeah. It also means the more of a sacrifice that I've made. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Is Yes, he's happy in the moment, but the only reason he's happy right now is because he had to go without. Mm. And to some degree, that means I'm, by working longer hours, I'm able to provide financially more for my family. But it also means that my family has to go without me physically for a while. So the weight of those decisions, I understand now. And I understand that at the time he was making a choice that was best for the family overall. And I mean, it may not have been best for me, but 
it's easier to explain to me why he had to make those choices and he didn't have to. I just figured it out, you know, reflecting back on it, actually prepping for this. I, a lot of things clicked because I haven't had to think about it since I've had my son. So I have a lot more context and a lot more insight to those decisions now than I did two years ago. So up until two years ago, they still felt like they were poor decisions on my dad's part. But in reality, they were the best decision he could make at that time. And if all you're and if he's making the best decision that he's capable of making at that time, I, it would be wrong for me to fault him for that. So I don't know how I'm going to set my son up to understand that because I know I went 30 plus years before it finally clicked. It's, it's on my list of things that try to get him to understand. We'll see what happens. And the other one is a bit more of a metaphor, but it holds, it holds true. My dad taught me how to hold a flashlight. And I know that sounds woo. Anyone can hold a flashlight, right? You've got, you've got appendages on your body that can pinch. You can hold a flashlight. And yes, the lesson started off with holding the flashlight physically, but there's a lot of power and responsibility to the person that holds the flashlight in the group. You're the person with the free hand and the light source. If the guy holding the flashlight isn't pointing it or using it correctly, nothing gets done. If he doesn't follow or take direction, nothing gets done. If he stops paying attention because he has the simple job of holding the flashlight, nothing gets done. You need to be right in the action, but not in the way. And the list goes on, but the takeaway is it applies to so many aspects of life. Those things are important to be a good person. They're important to be a good leader. There's aspects aspects of being somebody who's good at supporting a family in there because sometimes it means you need to be just the emotional flashlight at the time. You need to be able to sit back and take in all of the Sometimes you need to just take in all the stress and issues that everybody else in the family is is having at the moment. And you need to be the rock. You need to be the voice of reason. I guess basically, sometimes you need to lead. Sometimes you need to follow. Sometimes you need to be patient. But you always need to know when to be those things. Wow. Okay. Honestly, um you're making me really think about so much right now. And I'm here, even though the camera's trying to be funny, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm blown away by the wisdom that's coming out. Not blown away, but I'm just so grateful for the wisdom that you're sharing right now. And it's one of those things where, I don't know, even going, I think we covered so much of the questions that I sent over to you through our conversations. And one thing, however, I, w- I would like you to share with us is one main thing I'm really interested in about. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to the guys that are on the journey to fatherhood or are already fathers? So that's two kind of categories. If you are a father or if you're going to be a father, um, look back at your childhood from the viewpoint of your father. 
if you have that luxury. Look at all the choices he made on your behalf as a kid. You probably didn't even notice them or understand why, quote unquote, that's the way things are. I would encourage you to remember all the times you wish your dad would have done something differently. And now that you have the ability to see it from your father's point of view, ask yourself if you would have done things differently and what that might have done for you as a child. Given that information, would you still make the same choice he made? And the other one is personally, I would have loved it if I got to do a lot of normal things with my dad as a kid. It infuriated me that I couldn't. There were many times I had outbursts where I questioned if my dad loved me or not. I said some pretty terrible things than a kid, and I don't ever recall if those outbursts ever ended in me getting an answer that would satisfy me as a child. Looking back on it, there's no doubt in my mind that I was loved, and perhaps my parents tried this, and perhaps I just don't remember. But I like to think that I would have been old enough to handle some truth about the world at that time. One of those truths being, you can have money and time. You can have money or time. Unless you're incredibly blessed with money, you can't have both. And it's, it's a reality that shapes a lot of choices that we have to make as people and as fathers. But only the people that understand that know they're making the right choice. And a child isn't going to understand that. And I can't tell somebody when the appropriate time is to introduce their child to the world. But as a father, you have to prepare them for the world. So you're going to have to do it eventually. And it's a lot easier, at least I think, to lay the groundwork in advance and go, hey, listen, this is why Papa's not here right now. This is why Papa is gone for eight to 12 hours a day because, you know, I, I, I don't like the idea that I have to tell my son the reason I'm doing something is for money because it puts a heavy emphasis on the need for money. The problem is if you don't, I don't know how to put an emphasis on hard work and education and all of that without the goal of money because that, you need it to do everything. I even had to stop taking notes because I wasn't catching, I wasn't staying, I wasn't writing as fast as you were speaking, but I'm definitely going to be re-watching this myself. And I'm sure the viewers and listeners will, be, will also agree with me that it's been a very educational and insightful um, message today. And the next thing I would like to say is how can people get in touch with you? If people, because I genuinely feel that there will be so many people that will have questions. And if you do have questions, mm -hmm. put in the comment section. But also, if they wanted to have direct, personal, private conversations with me, how could they get hold of me? For all of my guesting and my podcasting, I use um, one email address. They can reach out to me at whatforpod at gmail.com. Um, they can also go to the website, which is whatforpodcast.com. And from there, there I've got a contact me section. I've got uh, ways that they can listen to the podcast, all that other stuff. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter at the moment. Poorly, I might add, a one-man band trying to do everything. It's it's a treat. 
Um, but I'm what for pod on social media. Honestly, James, it's been an absolutely, absolute pleasure. I, yeah, I think as soon as we're done with this call, I'm going to replay so much of it. And there are mm -hmm. specific sentences that I was writing down that you're saying, and then I just lost myself in transition just thinking about it that I really need to go back to. It's mm -hmm. not like a TED talk, honestly. It's so, I love, honestly, it's, it's TED talk in the fact that whilst it wasn't of, of a formal talk, it was so thought provoking, thought provoking, mm -hmm. so insightful. And I am so grateful that you reached out to us, and I'm so grateful that we got the chance to put this today. And without any more to say, I have so much more to say, to be honest. But <laughs> for this time, and we'll definitely, I'll, I'd love to catch up off screen and off, off the podcast. We'll definitely be in touch. But thank mm -hmm. you so much. Thank you yeah. so much. And I want to say a big thank you to your wife as well, because mm -hmm. part of the journey in, in, in all its entirety. And thank you. Just thank you. Yeah, no, not a problem. And I, I appreciate the thanks to my wife because as much as it sounded like I was her rock in this story, she has been my rock more times than I can count. So it's, I mean, it's, it's give and take. It's just the way it is. Well, so I appreciate it, man. It's, it's, it's my absolute pleasure. And we'll definitely be talking long after this. And mm -hmm. when I make, remind me again, what state you're in, in America. Uh, I live in Wisconsin. See, I don't know why I asked that. Like, I know where places are, but <laughs> I'll definitely be. <laughs> it's, it's, it's right in the middle near the top. I'll definitely, I'll definitely try to plan once all of this is open and saving up for I was hoping this summer I'd like four weeks just traveling around the US. But maybe I'll seem like it might be next year because we, we have so much going on here in the UK. Yep. But I'm definitely yep. planning to, I'd love to sit down and meet your wife and your son. It'll be an amazing time to drink bread as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have a hot meal. Just let us know. Absolutely. Listen, my appetite is right my That was very fast, so I can take in a lot. <laughs> you be asking yourself, where is it going? So definitely looking forward to that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But once again, thank you and enjoy the rest of your day, brother. Really.